Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. On January the 30th, 2009, I stood before a congregation with a young lady named Char Potenciano. And together we made a covenant before God to love, honor, trust, and serve one another as husband and wife. I want to show you two of my favorite pictures from January 30th, 2009. Now, as you can tell, my wife looks exactly the same today, and I have aged horribly. But that was our wedding day, and it was a really special day for us. And when I entered into uh, marriage with Char, I had a couple of assumptions. Now, it's humbling to say today that over the past nine years, I've come to realize that every single one of my assumptions was absolutely wrong. For example, I thought that when you became married, all of the flaws in your character and in your lifestyle just somehow magically disappeared. I've since learned that marriage does not eliminate your flaws. It actually magnifies <laughs> your flaws. I'm sure we could go around the room today and maybe share some stories or lessons that we've either learned personally about marriage or that we've observed in the lives of other married couples. But today, during our time, as we continue our series, we really want to hone in on what God has to say about the marriage relationship. If you're visiting with us today, we are walking through a teaching series as a church called Love Life, God's Perspective on Marriage, Dating, and Singleness. And during this series, we've been asking a very interesting question, and here it is. Do the relationships in your life cause you to love life. As you think about the relationships in your life, do they cause you to love life? What we learn from the Bible and what we learn from history is that relationships are what makes life meaningful. Now, we've also acknowledged within this series that relational brokenness exists in our culture. And that relational brokenness impacts all of us. So here's what that means. That means as we talk about certain relationships, for some of us, we're going to get very, very excited. For others of us, it actually surfaces some pain because of the relational brokenness that we've walked through. And so I want to encourage you, if you've not been able to track 
with each week of this teaching series. Go on our website. We post all the sermons on there for free because I want you to get a holistic understanding of what we have been teaching throughout this series. But when we started this series in week one, we laid down a foundational big idea that is incredibly significant. So I hope you've been able to write it down, memorize it, share it with someone else. But here it is. Here was our big idea in week one. Before love in my life can ever be right, Jesus must be the love of my life. Now, a lot of people want to start by talking about love in their life. And they want to go straight there, regardless of what that means. But here's what we've said in this series. Before, until my relationship with Jesus is everything that it needs to be, my love life will not be everything that it needs to be. And so this weekend, we're actually going to conclude this teaching series by looking at God's perspective on marriage. Now, depending on where you are in your journey and your calling in life, the topics throughout this series will apply differently to you. But here's what I believe about today. The truth that we're going to look at today will either apply to your life personally or it will equip you to better speak into the life of someone that you know. So here's where we want to start. We want to start by understanding a little bit about God's perspective for marriage at the foundational level. And Jesus actually summarized several things that I, I believe really lay a biblical foundation for us when it comes to marriage in a conversation that he was in in Matthew chapter 19. Someone had posed to him a question about the marriage relationship. And I want to read for us his response in that conversation because it is loaded with biblical principles about marriage. Look at Jesus' response. The Bible says in Matthew 19, and he answered them, Have you not read that he who created them, meaning humans, from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. The first relationship God created after our relationship with him is marriage. If you are married here today, next to Jesus, the most important relationship in your life is with your spouse. And the health of every other earthly relationship in your life rests on the health of that relationship. And what I want to share with you today are two defining marks of God's design for marriage. Two defining marks that if we want to see marriage the way God designed it, I believe these two marks will be present. And here's the first mark. Radical love. Radical 
love. Now, here's a, here's a biblical principle for us today. God has designed marriage as a radical love relationship. God has designed the marriage relationship to be a radical love relationship. The word that most defines the relationship between the husband and wife in the New Testament is the word love. I want to give you a couple of examples. First of all, here's a verse from Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's a beautiful passage of scripture in Ephesians 5. Here's another one from Titus chapter 2. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine. Teaching what is good. He's basically saying, listen, you need to be an example to younger women. And here's why. So that they may... Encourage the young women to love their husbands. Now, here's a question looking at those two places in Scripture. Why would a man have to be commanded to love his wife and a woman have to be constantly encouraged to love her husband? Well, here's why. Because the kind of love that God desires in a marriage relationship does not come naturally. It is a radical love. And the most comprehensive description of this radical love that is supposed to exist in the marriage relationship is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you have a copy of the scripture today, would you look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In just a moment, I'm going to read a couple verses out of this chapter But before we read the verses, here are a few things that I want all of us to understand about the verses we are about to read. First of all, there are 16 descriptions of love in the verses that we're about to read. And they are all verbs. Here's what that means. That means that what we're about to read is not going to talk about what love is. It's going to share with us what love does And does not do. Because love is an action word. The verses we're about to read are going to show us when this radical love is fleshed out between two people. This is what it looks like. But not only that. These verbs are all present tense. Which means continuous action. Meaning anytime I am not behaving... According to 1 Corinthians 13, I am not loving and therefore not fulfilling God's design for my relationship to my spouse. So look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read starting in verse 4 through the very first part of verse 8. You've probably heard this before. This is a really well-known passage of scripture. Verse 4 says this, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, 
but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Here's what I want to say to you before we jump into this text. If today you will listen and apply the principles we are going to talk about, I assure you, it will change your marriage and it will change your home. But I want to I wanna be honest. These principles are extremely convicting. And I also want to say, just as kind of a marriage counseling moment, I don't think it's going to be good for your marriage if you point your finger at your spouse this morning. All right? So here's what we have in these verses. We have 16 defining statements about radical love. Now, as you hear me say 16, some of you got very anxious. I want you to know this. I understand what time it is, and I am not long-winded like Pastor Tom. So you you don't have to worry about that with me. So 16 defining statements about radical love. Here's the first one. Love is patient. Patience is a word that means the calm willingness to accept situations involving others that are irritating or painful. That's what it means to be patient. The great church father, Chrysostom, said this, it is a word which is used of the man who is wronged and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself, but will never do it. That's what it means to be patient. It's the opposite of being quick-tempered. And obviously, we have the supreme example of this in Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Peter, the Lord is patient Toward you. Aren't you thankful today that God is patient towards us? Let me ask you an evaluation question. I don't want you to answer out loud, and I don't want you to point fingers. When you are wronged by your spouse, what is your first response? To retaliate? To get even? Or to demonstrate patience. You see, this expression of love never tries to get even. Love is patient. Here's a second statement. Love is kind. The word kind means willing to help or assist. It means active goodness and generosity. Here's what Matthew Henry said. This love not only seizes opportunities to do good, but searches for them. So this is not kindness in response to kindness. This is not kindness to receive it back. And it's not kindness because kindness has been requested. Kindness in my marriage is loving my wife by intentionally looking 
for opportunities to graciously serve her. Often what happens in a marriage relationship is we demonstrate this kind of love to everybody else. Our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our small group. But in some cases, the person that gets left out and does not see us really demonstrate kindness towards them is our spouse. And the radical love that God has designed for the marriage relationship is one where we are intentionally living on the lookout to demonstrate goodness and graciousness to our spouse. So let me ask you this morning. Are you kind to your spouse? Do you constantly look for opportunities to serve your spouse? You see, the radical love that God desires to be demonstrated in a marriage relationship is a love that is kind. Here's a third statement today. Love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. Jealous means to be moved with envy. It means to be grieved at the good of others. Now, there are two kinds of jealousy. One is, I want what they have. Another is, I wish they didn't have what they have. There's two kinds of jealousy. Love doesn't compete. As we read earlier from Matthew chapter 19, when a a husband and wife are married, they become one flesh. And when you love someone with this radical love that God is talking about, you are pleased when they are honored and exalted. I want to say this as just a practical application for us. Where there is a spirit of competition in a marriage, there will always be conflict. So here's here's an evaluation question for us. Are you in competition with your spouse? And that could look a lot of different ways. And I'll just trust that the Spirit of God will speak to you about your specific situation. Are you pleased when your spouse is esteemed? The love God desires in his design for marriage, it's not jealous. Fourth statement, love does not brag. Brag is the idea of superiority over others. It's a excessive display of self. Here's here's the mentality. If you are bragging, that means this. If I do something loving, I am quick to let everyone know what I've done. It's wanting credit versus doing things out of the goodness of your heart purely because of love. Adam Clark said this. Love does not desire to be noticed or applauded. If you're married here today and you think about your marriage, do you always have to be the center of attention? Here's a fifth statement about love. Love 
is not arrogant. The word arrogant means to be puffed up or inflated. If bragging is the expression of superiority, arrogance is simply the attitude of superiority. It's living with a high view of yourself. It's living in such a way that you're the most important. It's positioning yourself in such a way that you are the most important thing in your home. As you think about arrogance, do you have an attitude of superiority in your marriage? Do you think what you do is more important than anything else? Here's a sixth statement about radical love. Love does not act unbecomingly. Now, this is a word that we don't use in our everyday vocabulary. The word unbecomingly means to behave in an ugly manner. It's the exact opposite in the Greek language of the word appropriate. You see, radical love is never rude and is always considerate of the feelings of others. Do you have that filter in your marriage? Do you have the filter of always being considerate of your spouse? Here's another way to ask that. Are you ever rude to your spouse? Are you careful not to offend your spouse? Here's the the seventh statement. Love does not seek its own. This is the idea of selfishness. Now, once again, in all of these, we have the example of Jesus. But Paul wrote about Really, the heart of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. I want to read a couple verses from that chapter. The Bible says this, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard or consider or look at others, one another, as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Is that reflected in your marriage if you're married here today? Are you selfish toward your spouse? Or are you seeking your spouse's interests above your own? challenging. Number eight, love is not provoked. The word provoked is a word that means to be irritated, roused to anger, to lose one's temper. When you love your spouse, they should not have to walk around on eggshells when they're with you. I'm going to give you an example of this. This past week, Shar uh, and I were um, in San Diego for a couple of days at the beach. 
And we had set a time that we were going to leave, which was 12 noon. And so she had went down to the beach with our, our youngest daughter, Cadence, and they were down there, and I went ahead and went back up to the room to change clothes and get our bags together. And it was about 11.55, and I noticed Char was not up there, and she was not answering her phone. And I had way more luggage than any one human could transport alone. And I was provoked in that moment. And so I had the bags, I had things under my arms, I had stuff wrapped around my head, and I'm just huffing and puffing all the way down the hallway, getting down to the lobby. I even had someone stop and say, sir, can I help you? And I said, don't help me, I want my wife to see me this way. (laughs) I was mad. I was mad. So... When it comes to this statement of radical love, if we're being honest, this week, I failed. (laughs) And here's the justification in my mind. I'm thinking to myself, this is a natural way for me to respond to the fact that she's not up here to help and she's not answering her phone. And if I'm living in my flesh, that is 100% true. But it is not who Christ is. And my marriage is to reflect his love and his desires through me. So I'll ask you this question, since I've already failed this week. (laughs) But do you regularly lose your temper with your spouse? Do you have a short fuse when it comes to your spouse? The radical love that God desires for the marriage relationship is not provoked. Here's number nine. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. This phrase, take into account, is an accounting word describing entering an item into a ledger so that you don't forget it. It's the idea of keeping a log. The radical love that God desires for us to demonstrate in our marriages is not a love that keeps a record. To love means that we wipe the record clean and never hold things against each other. So here's a question today. Have you forgiven your spouse for past wrongs and failures? Or do you live with a list just in case you need it? Number 10. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. This word rejoice means to be glad. And the communication here is this. Love doesn't find joy in the weaknesses and shortcomings of your spouse. And here's another way to think about that. You do not truly care about someone if their failure secretly brings you gladness. If you find yourself in a place and you see your spouse with a weakness or a failure and secretly you enjoy that, the Bible's saying that is not the radical love of God. Do you celebrate your spouse's failures and weaknesses privately or with others? Number 11, 
Love rejoices in the truth. This word rejoice indicates to share in the joy of another. The radical love that God desires to be demonstrated in his design for marriage celebrates his activity in the life of others. And there are numerous passages of scripture about this. One of those is in 1 Thessalonians, which says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. Is that true in your marriage? If you're here today and you're married. Do you celebrate God's activity in the life of your spouse by intentionally rejoicing in spiritual victories? Two more statements for us. The next one is this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Here's what John MacArthur said about this principle. Love bears what is otherwise unbearable. It believes what otherwise is unbelievable. It hopes in what is otherwise hopeless. And it endures when anything less than love would give up. Love will not stop loving. That's powerful. Number 16 of these defining statements is this. Love never fails. The word fails is used of a flower that falls to the ground, withers, and decays. Here's what's being communicated by that phrase. The radical love of God never withers or decays. It is everlasting. Ben Stewart said this in his book, Single Dating Engaged Married. While the word agape has a range of meaning. It is often used in Scripture to identify a higher love, a binding, covenantal love, like the kind of love God has for His people. It is a love that commits to the other's good and swears to never let go. You don't fall out of this kind of love. Passions can rise and fall. Agape stays. It declares to the beloved, I'm not going anywhere. So those are 16 defining statements about the radical love that God desires to exist in the marriage relationship according to his design. So if we're going to live in that design, the first mark or evidence that you're going to see is radical love. But as we close, here's a second defining mark that should be evident in a marriage relationship according to God's design. Overflowing love. The first is radical love. The second is overflowing love. And here's a principle. This radical love relationship is only possible out of the overflow of Christ in us. If you've not realized it by now, the love that is described in 1 Corinthians 13 is not possible apart from Christ in us. 
I want you to remember where we started with the big idea. Before love in my life can ever be right, Jesus must be the love of my life. Here's another way to say that for today. Before your marriage will ever be right, before it will be everything that God desires for it to be, Jesus must first be your ultimate aim, your ultimate pursuit. So here's what that means about your marriage. The greatest thing you bring into your marriage is your personal love relationship with God. That is so foundational. There are so many people in our culture who are trying to do it otherwise. They think that possessions or the glitz and the glamour are what is most important for their marriage relationship. But I believe according to scripture, the greatest thing that you and I bring into a marriage is our personal love relationship with God. As we begin to look at our marriages through this filter of radical love and overflowing love. May the current and future marriages within this fellowship be marked by those two things. So if you're married here today, I want to I end with a challenge. Sometimes, sometime this week, I want you to sit down with your spouse And that could be over coffee, over dinner, during a car ride, at some point. And I want you to ask this question. What did God show you about our marriage on Sunday? As we walk specifically through those 16 defining statements, what was it that the Holy Spirit of God illuminated to you and put his finger on? I want to encourage you this week to have an honest conversation with your spouse. Not a fight, not an argument, just an honest conversation where both of you would say, here is what God revealed to me about our marriage this past Sunday. As we conclude this series today, I hope that you have been encouraged to know that there are un changing principles that have been given to us by God in his word to help us navigate the waters of relationships. And I believe that if we apply them, we will not only be able to survive relationally, but we will be able to thrive and love the life that God has graciously given us. Let's pray this morning. We're going to transition now to a response time. And we really believe as a church that as we faithfully proclaim the word every Sunday, that the spirit of God takes the word of God and does business with the people of God. And so I don't know where you are on your journey today, whether you're single, whether you're married. I don't know where you are. 
But as we transition now to just some time to respond to God, I want to challenge you to be obedient. And I think today that could look a lot of ways. That may be you where you are if you're married today, just sitting where you are and praying with your spouse. It may be you and your spouse coming up here and just kneeling down on these steps like an altar. And maybe for the first time in a while, just crying out to God together. Maybe you're a couple here today and you need somebody to pray for you. You know that you're not in a good place and you would just love for a pastor to pray over you today. When we stand and sing in just a moment, we're going to have some pastors here. We'd be honored to pray for you. Maybe you're someone today who's single and you just want to pray about the marriage that you hope to have one day. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. And you know that you don't have a relationship with God, and that's why you don't love life. When we stand in just a moment, I want to invite you to come forward. If you know that today you need to give your life to Jesus, we'd love to connect you with a volunteer who can show you from the Bible how you can be saved. So, Lord, in these moments, we pray that you would continue to speak to us. Lord, give us clarity about how this word applies to us. So Lord, as some of us pray, as some of us sing, I pray that this would be a time where we respond to you. Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen.